Hello and welcome to episode 62 of the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. Today I've got a uh, kind of a mix show with a few different things going on. We have two different conversations with two different game developers um, about two different topics. And uh, I have some other updates for me. Um, things It's kind of a little bit of like a potpourri sort of show. Uh, but I think there's um, a lot of good stuff in here to chew on. The first thing that we're going to get into is a conversation with Hopenager, who, if you are at all familiar with the KB Games uh, Discord or the old forums, you probably have seen his name around. He's a game developer, and we often are discussing game design in one form or another. And today we try to make some headway on something that we've been talking about for a really long time, which is the idea of binary score goals or binary goals versus score goals. And so we talk, we get into the into the nitty gritty about that. And that's very much like a clockwork game design, you know, brand conversation, very theoretical and kind of like trying to figure out what should we do with strategy games? What would be good? And so I appreciated him coming on and doing that. And then we also have um, later on, we have Adam Wilk, uh, who has a very successful um, 18 card strategy game that he's working on. And that's got almost 10K at the time of this recording. Probably will surpass that in the next few days. And of course, you know, go check it out. Uh, There's a link in the show notes. But uh, we're going to talk to him about his process of making that and uh, some questions about like, you know, what's it like to run a board game Kickstarter, especially because that may be something I would like to do pretty soon. And I will also, um, if you have been following along, we've been doing this 18 card strategy game uh, jam and that went super well. We got, I think, 14 uh, different uh, people submitting games, which was so cool. I had no idea that we would get that many. Um, That's really amazing. And uh, like these are complete games that you could theoretically play. I think most of them probably haven't been play tested, but uh, I know mine, my submission wasn't at the time of submission. But, um, you know, still it's 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 significant. Uh, A lot of thought and work and effort goes into these and they a lot of them are you know, a good jumping off point for a finished game later on, which is kind of what I'm doing right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about my responses to, I I sent out some questions. I just posted on my site, uh, keithbergun.net, um, a bunch of the responses, uh, to, I sent out like a questionnaire to everyone who, um, you know, who, uh, submitted a game and I got the responses and there's some really good stuff in there. And so I posted some of those. You can read the full responses over at itch.io, but yeah, that's that's pretty much that's the big the main updates. I'm gonna have a little bit more of the updates, and I'm gonna talk more about my game, my upcoming game, Dragon Bridge, which should take place in the Gem Wizards universe. Um, I also want to do at some point a, a podcast that's just about the Gem Wizards universe and, and why it's important to me. But um, yeah, thank you for listening, and I'm gonna get in now to my conversation with Hopenager. Uh, this is a conversation about uh, binary score goals versus or binary goals versus score goals i should say so that's like a win loss versus like you know the match ends and you get like a number and particularly in the context of single player games so i think that conversation went really well i don't know that either of us necessarily convinced the other but i do think we got a little bit further in figuring out where the disagreement is coming from and uh yeah so please enjoy this conversation with hopenager All right, so 
Hopenager. Uh, yeah, so we've had this really long running conversation. I'm going to try to set the stage for the conversation that we've been having. So, so we've been talking about, um, score systems largely, and this is a conversation that, you know, um, uh i've had with uh, a bunch of different people um i think you know i've been kind of on a practical level i've been sort of more coming around to the idea of score systems but not because i think anything that i was saying before is wrong but just because um i think you know uh there's there are benefits to it that are more like along the lines of like sort of toy form kind of benefits of just like allowing players to play in certain ways um mm. i think i think our basic argument is really comes down to the like the value of binary goals in games so so just to set the stage we're talking about what are what are good goals for strategy games what kind of strategy game what kind of goals should strategy games like sort of ideally have i know that's a weird thing to ask but like i tend to have a problem with non-binary goals in right. in strategy games so i i will start it off by saying like you know just just emotionally and um like uh, almost aesthetically when i when i play a strategy game and it doesn't have a binary goal i sort of feel like i don't really know what i'm supposed to do uh or like that i don't have a clear goal and also theory wise i i, f I feel like there's good reasons why we should pursue binary goals over um non-binary goals like something like a score system so now you and on the other hand you are a big proponent of things like score systems if i recall correctly you your p major position is like well a score system gives you more feedback for the final outcome right because it's like giving you this large scale rather than just a, a one or a zero you're getting this big you know number that's telling you a lot more um is that sort of a good encapsulation of our argument do you think or is there something how, how would you phrase your side of this discussion? Yeah, so I think that's a pretty good um, summary. But so I would say, like, so you think that um, there's just something sort of fundamentally invalid about um, non-binary score or non-binary in-game feedback. I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with binary in-game feedback. I think you can have a win-loss game and it works as a strategy game and it's fine. But I don't. Uh, but I also don't think that there's anything wrong with score systems. And I think score systems are better for just kind of the practical reason of the player gets more in-game feedback. They just uh, there's more information being transmitted, um, in, in a very like literal information theoretic sense. Um, you know, an integer is more information than a binary bit, a yes or a no, right? Um, and so you've made a bunch of good practical criticisms of existing score systems in the past, but um, I don't think that any of the criticisms that you've made are fundamental to score systems themselves. So you've you've uh, talked about how like um, you know. Uh, and, and a lot of, especially um, older arcade games, right, that use score systems, players uh, get better just by learning how to stretch out the match length more. And so very good players will be playing, you know, a game that normally takes five minutes for like an hour or two hours or a day, right? And that's obviously a problem, and I agree with that. But it's easy to imagine a score system that wouldn't have a problem like that. So uh, I, don't, I don't think any of the criticisms that I've heard um, are intrinsic to score systems themselves, and I don't see any reason um, why we should use win-loss systems over score systems since they um since score system just have such so much better feedback yeah so i think that's a good important thing to note is that you and i both agree on score systems as implemented in 
probably every game uh, that we know about with score systems. We could get into the details of that, but at least the vast majority of implemented popular score systems. So that would be things like old arcade games. That would also be things like roguelikes, um, mm-hmm. games like you know Tetris, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and that we both agree that there are major problems with those systems. The disagreement is just about whether or not those problems are sort of fundamental to the concept of a of a score system or not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah. So I, I, my feeling when we talk about this is that like, that we're, I still feel like we're kind of talking about two different, like different, but very similar kinds of systems. I, because I mm-hmm. feel like, yeah, like I totally know, I feel like I know what you're saying that, that if you're trying to measure the sort of like optimalness quote unquote of like you know how someone is using this system um so so like let's say we designed a roguelike or something and it didn't have the classical roguelike problems of just like it wasn't super random so you weren't just like waiting for good rolls it didn't mm-hmm. have like you know that thing where it's just getting longer and longer and longer it has a very fixed length um and so a lot of the big problems that we do agree with about score systems are solved um and in that situation like i i'm i think i'm with you that it would be better to have um a system that is like sort of measuring in this uh granular continuous way the way that a score system does than just some binary on off you know what i mean Um, yeah exactly and that's, I think, what you're saying, and I, I agree with that in that sort of um, arena. But I also think, like, I guess what I'm saying is, like, there's this, uh, there, the binary goal, as uh, coupled with like some of the other things that, like, uh, ways that I think of strategy games or a certain kind of strategy game, creates its own thing that is distinct and that 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 needs the binary goal um, to work. And I guess maybe that's kind of what I'm, what where some crux of our disagreement is is that i think i see a value let's put it this way i think i see a value in a binary goal that i'm not sure you see i think you see a binary goal as just a score goal with just two possible point outcomes whereas yeah yeah. that's a good way to put it yeah Yeah. if if there's some value in a binary goal that i'm just not seeing then then yeah i'm probably wrong but uh i yeah, to me, a, a binary goal is just a score goal with very limited range, so it's not transmitting as much information to the player. Okay, so there's some really easy things, I think, to express about binary goals. Like, um, you know, I mean, there is something to be said for the whole concept of winning and losing. Um, of course, I have critiques of that as well from other perspectives, but um, but there's something to be said for in a binary goal system, when you go into it, you know... You, and when you are finished, you have a kind of satisfaction and a kind of drive towards a, you know, yes, no. Is this something like like is this something I can d- accomplish? Um, you know, like the word accomplish is binary. I think that there is it's like uh, there's there's a way that it it, it sort of clarifies your mission uh if they're if you're begin being given a binary goal get this you know ball in over to that area or something like whatever it is um it that that score systems just don't have i mean score systems say get a high score or um you know like do you, you kind of you know what i mean we've had this conversation so many times that i'm kind of like running yeah. through it in my head and i'm and i may be stepping over my own words but like you know 
do you agree that binary goals have a more clear goal as in what is to be expected of the player or no? Um, well, so there's certainly an expectation embedded in a binary goal that doesn't exist in a score goal. Um, so y- yeah, you either get to the, uh, you know, whatever is set as the victory condition or you don't. Um, but I don't really see why that's particularly important in, in a, um, a, I guess one clarifying point is in a score goal, there is still like a well-defined, um, ranking of which uh end outcomes are better than others right and the same is true in uh, win-loss systems and win-loss systems wins are better than losses right and the score goal all it does is it extends that and it says higher scores are better than lower scores um and so you can still it, it's not that there's any um like lack of clarity about which end uh end states are better than others because every end state gets a um a score right and so it, higher scores are better than lower scores, and that's all there really is to it. I don't see what's unclear about that. It, it's definitely, I, I, it almost feels like when you're saying it's less clear, I think you just kind of mean it feels less binary. And it, it certainly does feel less binary, but I don't see why that's a well, problem. Well, because I, I, one thing that I, when you just said um, that winning is better than losing, like I feel like winning is not better than losing. Winning is winning is good and losing is bad. Do you know what I mean? Like there's this kind of finality to it where... Well, if something's good and something else is bad, then the good thing is better, right? Uh, like, sure, I'm, but I'm... you know, two better things, one thing could be better than another and they could both be good. You know, that's 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 kind of my issue is that like you could get 500 points, maybe that's good, and you get 600 points, maybe that's better, but maybe they're both yeah. good. Nothing's bad though. Whereas losing is bad. Oh. It's like objectively bad and, and it's well, inarguably bad. Not re- so. If I play a chess game versus you know a, a, a low level uh, bot, right, and I win, that means something very different than if I play against Gary Kasparov and I win, right. So it, it's not actually true that a um, a win or loss just has an obvious meaning. You still need a context around that win or loss. You still need to know: Are you at the right elo rank? Are you playing against a uh, a player of equal skill? So in either a score system or a win loss system, you need some back background context for a win or loss to be meaningful. Well, but it, it sounds like you're kind of assuming that context in the case of win loss, but not really allowing any context to be assumed in the case of a score system. Well, no, in both cases, I think we should assume the context that it's like, you know, a, a balanced difficulty that the person is, you know, has a has a, uh, you know, like a roughly 50 percent chance to succeed, I suppose, whatever that means. And, and well, maybe that's a it, non-binary it, sense. In the well, score yeah, system. so. The context that you would assume in a score system is a little bit different. It's not that you have a 50% chance of winning. It's just that, say, you know, I tend to get around 500 points in this game. And then once and you were saying there's not really anything that's bad, there's just things that are better or worse. Well, if you know you tend to get around 500 and then you get 300, you know that's bad, right, relative to um, your your average, right? And so there's still a good or bad. There's still better and worse, right? It's just more granular so that there's more information being transmitted. Right, okay. So yeah, and this is like the next sort of stage of this conversation is like at a certain point with score systems, for them to really work, I think we probably agree that there needs to be some kind of like par or score goal of some yeah. kind right um and it doesn't um, well, have to be explicitly stated but like it's somewhere in the player's mind that like okay 500's kind of my goal right well i, I wouldn't put it as a goal because it's, it's the player shouldn't be thinking if i get above 500 that's a win and if i get below 500 that's a loss right that that's not how they should be thinking they should be thinking okay i expect that i'll probably get around 100 but if or 500 but if I get 600, that's good. If I get 700, that's really good. 800 is amazing, you know. And so, uh, they shouldn't be thinking in terms of that. You, you, I don't want the player to just, uh, you know, kind of see a score, but then convert it to a binary in their head, right? That's not uh, how a score system should be interpreted. It should still, it should all the player should be thinking at every step 
um, as a continuous uh, value, a better or worse, or you know, a score, an absolute value. It doesn't matter. But th they shouldn't be kind of rounding to a a win or loss at any point in their thinking. Yeah, but I, I guess you can say they shouldn't. But like, but like, don't they? And isn't it very natural for them to? And don't you when you play such games? And doesn't everyone? I guess would be my follow up there. Um, I mean, so I definitely have uh, so when i'm playing a score game right and i get better than average i definitely feel good and if i get worse than average then i feel bad right not like feel bad as in like i'm sad yeah, but you know yeah. right like in, in a feedback like i've way. succeeded right and so like if i try to describe it in words yeah like i can say okay i feel good this time bad that time but like the it, before i put it into words no i'm not i'm not really thinking like okay this was good and that was bad and any no matter how high above my goal i get it's equal right like it's, it only becomes binary when you try to put it into words because you know, we try to use the words good or bad or win or loss, right? Instead of you, you could, um, with a different kind of uh, way of speaking, you could just think only in terms of continuity. You could think better or worse. Um, you could say better than average or much better than average, right? Um, so I, I agree that uh, maybe people tend to think more in terms of win loss, but that's probably just because most competitive games are win loss, right? I mean, most competitive games are two or more players, in which case a win loss is implicit, if not explicit, right? So. Um, the fact that people tend to think in terms of win loss, um, it doesn't really show much to me. Like, I don't see what uh, what that's proving. Well, I mean, for one thing, like we are making games for people. And, you know, I think that we, you know, that to me, if players tend to think a certain way, that is actually something that we should probably work with or work around because, you know, like as much as we would want players to think, no, no, no. Don't think about like, you know, sort of winning and losing. Like, you know, I I've observed in my own self that when I get a score under my threshold, my, you know, my sort of score goal that I set in my mind explicitly or, or otherwise, um, I sort of feel like I've lost. And when I get one over, I sort of feel like I've won. And, you know, I, well, I can understand how, how maybe I shouldn't do that, but like, that's kind of, I think that's like what people do. And as designers, maybe we should, um, should, should maybe, I don't know. There, there's, there seems to be a kind of logic in that, that, that it sort of makes a kind of sense to people right or wrong. Well, it, it's fine to say that it sort of feels like a loss, because if you take a very low resolution approach, right, then it is kind of a loss. Like if, if you do want to round to a win or loss, well, then it makes sense to low round, you know, scores below your average to a loss and scores above your average to a win. But it's completely possible. And people do all the time think about their scores, not in terms of rounding. Right. Um, so and I agree that we um, should uh, cater to what people already know, right? You want systems to be intuitive. You don't want the player to have to completely reshape their thinking just to play your game. And it's 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 fine if a player does want to kind of just say to themselves, okay, I got above, that's a win. I got below, that's a lose. As long as they don't, uh, you know, start planning around that. Like they're just trying to maximize their chance of getting above the average, right? right. They can kind of, if, if they want to use that as just sort of a thinking tool for themselves, fine. Like that, I don't have any problem with that. Um, but it's just uh, the fact that players tend to use that as a thinking tool doesn't mean that, you know, we should just uh, embed that thinking tool explicitly sure. and just you know, give up on scores entirely. Instead, use win or, win or so loss, I don't think. How does this um, uh, all work out when it comes to now? Granted, I think, well, I'm certainly of the belief that, you know, single player is like the default number of players for games. I, I tend to pursue strategy games that are single player. I, I think there's something mm -hmm. about single player strategy games that is uh, really un under tapped and also like extremely like promising. However, yeah, when maybe. it comes to how does your theory apply when it comes to multiplayer games? Because even multiplayer score games become a binary, right? Like one score is higher yeah. than the other. 
Yeah, so my theory is mostly about single player games because just just like you, I'm I think that you know there aren't enough single player strategy games, and it's a very interesting space. Um, and so the fact that uh, this theory doesn't apply super easily to um, multiplayer games doesn't really bother me that much. So I mean, one way you could just try to do a, a multiplayer score system if you really wanted, um, you could you'd have to design a sort of a different Elo system um, where when you uh, end a game, you don't just go up if you won and go down if you lose, but instead. Um, you go up in proportion to however much you beat your opponent by is is one way of thinking about it. Um, so or, uh, so if you you know got a hundred and your opponent got fifty, then you would go up you know fifty times whatever the increment that is, uh, defined in the Elo system is. And so uh, I, I think that it would be very weird and very unintuitive for players to do this just because um, another person you're just so used to thinking in terms of win and loss. Like I, I can't think of a single yeah. um, game where a single multiplayer game at least where um you know you don't end the game by saying i won you lost right sure um whereas there are examples of that in single player games obviously which is part of why i focus on single player games uh and i really this is uh, you always talk about well not always but you know you talk about how um uh, one is this uh, default number of players and whatnot i mean that to me just kind of it, it part of the reason why that's true is because you're ca- you can use score systems easily in single player right part of the reason why there's this untapped potential in single player is because we can use score systems and it's already intuitive players and it's very easy to implement and you don't have to worry about, you know, redefining ELO and completely defying all the players' expectations. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I want to wrap up soon, but the one one last thing that I want to mention about um, score systems uh, and so so this actually points to my larger theory about this other kind of thing that's kind of like the score-based single-player games but kind of isn't and that's the idea of um us thinking of uh, our designs in a very tactical way and very small arc kind of way and mm-hmm. uh score systems tend to lend themselves to um kind of like you know small iterative loop you know like you have a small tactical loop and you just do it over and over and over again oro is an example of this in my opinion especially mm-hmm. once you get higher in the elo and and the matches become longer and longer it's like you just do the oro game over and over and over and over again and it's like how long right. can you do the oro game and um so that that's a problem that you know i think we can sort of propose solutions to but i also feel like there's a on some level i feel like it's a it's a fundamental difference uh a system that is like built around its structure and you know i i talk a lot about the fact that you know um uh feedback game and match end feedback is so important for like how we how we look at the rest of the match like what happened throughout the match we we sort of yeah. like on some level in our brains we play a match we sit with the result and then we kind of are like feeling somewhere through the history of state history as we, and as we play future matches matches we remember like oh i did this and like you know and and so having to me having that binary um win or loss uh makes it very clear this all to to be able to um you know because everything else in a game is super ambiguous right like any hopefully everything you're doing yeah. like throughout the match is very ambiguous and then at the end you get something that's non-ambiguous and so that's what frustrates me so much about score systems is it's like ambiguous 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 at the end and well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see a score as ambiguous really and so i just want to say i completely agree that um we don't have enough strategy games that are that have long arcs right like most things that people call strategy games are really just you know tactics games that go on for a long time and then you kind of just do the tactical loop until you get a uh, an end screen right and i agree that we don't want to do that but i don't think that 
there's any reason there's any fundamental benefit to um, win law systems in terms of long arcs. I, I don't see any reason why you can't have a um, uh, a uh, win or a score system that uses long arcs as well. I, one thing I will give you is that I do feel myself kind of laundering in the binary sort of like so when I just said ambiguous, um, uh, you know, I meant it's like sort of like ambiguous with regards to a binary. Uh, right. right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's not ambiguous. Like, of course, what the number is, you know what the number yeah. is. And of and course, it's not you, ambiguous. With, you have, with, like the reason why I think it's actually less ambiguous is say, say in a win loss game, you try out two different strategies and two different matches and both of them lead to a win. Right. Mm -hmm. You have no way of distinguishing which of those strategies is better. Right. Because both of them just gave you a win. Right. And so it's ambiguous which one is better. If you're in a score system, well, however, neither is better is the answer. Sorry? Neither is better. Well, what, neither neither may have been better in that particular match, but um, one is probably a better as a general approach to matches in general, right? Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't know. Ideally, in a, in a deep strategy game, like you wouldn't be able to say that. And that's another part of my problem. Like you're giving too much feedback for like if, if you were able to see like, oh, this is like one percent better. I actually think that's giving too much feedback for uh, something that actually should be a little bit like more black boxy. The, the you know, you're like disambiguating the weird inner thing workings of this system in this way that like first of all is not even true i think in a in a in a certain sense but also is like flattening to the experience like um yeah i don't know i have a really hard time and this is i think why we've had i feel like i there's something here that i want to say i feel like you're making a really good case for your point here uh but mm -hmm. i and i don't feel like that i'm doing that for my point but i feel like there's something uh and maybe people who listen to this have uh something to add uh on either side of this discussion um but but i feel like you know when you when you just measure every single thing that happened like that's what's the problem with the score system is that like you're getting this readout of the total sum of all these little interactions of like you right. know tactical interactions like i won a tactical victory on turn three and that's getting permanently recorded into this score and i'm like well, i feel like that's not even we don't want that you know what i mean yeah well so so um i think that you're kind of misunderstanding score systems a little bit there and this might be the the thing that's keeping us from um agreeing which is that a score system, all score system means to me is the, the only thing that it really fundamentally means is that the end game feedback you get at the end is a number instead of a bit, right? Instead of a yes or no. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't imply that that number that you get is a sum of a bunch of tactical interactions. It could just be any, um, it could be literally any uh, like metric on the end state of the game. So sure. it doesn't even have to be something that accumulates over time. It could be something that isn't even really well defined until the very end of a match. It could be something that goes up and goes down so that it's not really uh, just a sum of a bunch of things. But it's something that you have to watch over time. Um, and so I, I think maybe when you think score systems, you are immediately jumping to just kind of a sum of arcade uh, you know, measurements over a bunch of tactical loops. Yeah. Whereas I'm just thinking, you know, uh, any sort of non-binary measurement over uh, the end state of a game. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I and and I guess that's where I've been is like I I I'm open to seeing new kinds of score systems uh, that uh, that are more like what you're talking about. Perhaps you can throw out the names of a few things that maybe sort of embody or at least point to that kind of thing. Um, and uh, or if not, you know, I mean, I, I look forward to that being pursued. Yeah, um, I mean, so I can um, mention my own game, Brazenberry Bonanza. Um, it's available on um, itch.io if you search for it or on um, Android. Um, and so that game, good music that, in that game, by the way. 
yeah the music there is great uh, <laughs> um so it that game i think does a better job than almost any other um score system or, or score game that i know of of having some medium arcs if not long arcs so in brazen berry bonanza you're trying to grow berries but it's not just you know you want to pick as many berries as possible you're really trying to like tend to this garden in a kind of a medium arc way that uh isn't just kind of the tactical looping that you'll see in most games um but that's enough um you know self-promotion um <laughs> And uh, Michael Bro recently released um, a game, P1 Select, which I think was just a project that he made for a game jam, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And um, it's still kind of the same um, arcade thing of, you know, you just survive as long as possible and accumulate points. But one thing that I think it does very well is it implements um, a, a par system, actually. I don't, I don't think Bro is directly influenced by what I've talked about as par systems, but the way um, that he does it is your par is... Um, the average of the last 16 games that you've played. And that's what goes on a leaderboard. Instead of just trying to get a high score, you want to get a high par. And the people on the leaderboards are the people who have achieved um, high pars, high like averages over 16 games. And so I think that um, par systems are like a great kind of metagamey thing to have um, in, in score games. And so I'm glad that uh, Michael Bro kind of adopted something like that for his last one. Cool. Yeah, no, that that's uh, that does sound interesting. I haven't yet to play that, but uh, I'm definitely interested to check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, cool. Well, I got to wrap up now. I got to do another uh, interview, but thank you so much, Hope and Inger, for coming on the show and talking about this. And hopefully we'll do it again at some point or, of course, keep us posted if you have any uh, other developments or anything on this topic. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun. And yeah, I will uh, come back on if I have anything interesting to talk about. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. So next up, we have a conversation with Adam Wilk uh, from Angry Cyborg Games. But I wanted to really quickly throw in, I've done this before, but I want to throw into the middle of an episode, see how that goes, a little plug for my own Patreon, which is how I'm able to make this show, how I'm able to write my articles, put together videos sometimes, um, and do a lot of the game design experimentation that I am able to do um, because of the support of uh, my patrons. So like. I think there's a lot of game developers out there who are doing really great things, but the thing that I think that I'm doing that's special, or a little bit special, is that I'm also a design like theory person, right? And I write these things about like, oh, here's how games should be. And then I, I make these games, and part of the reason I'm making the game is the traditional reason, you know? Like, oh, I think it would be fun to play this thing, and I think people would like it, and I wanna sell this commercial product, and all those reasons. But part of the reason is also, I want to test this theory. You know, I want to try to implement something. And and those, uh, you know, those attempts are not always successful. I mean, I think um, Escape the Omnocronom was largely a, like a failed experiment in a lot of ways. Um, and so in some ways, like I, I see myself as somewhat doing research as well as, you know, trying to produce commercial games and stuff. Um, and so if that's something that you value and you think is cool and you like this podcast, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Keith Um, and there are benefits to doing that. Uh, you do get, uh, behind the scenes stuff that you get access to things that other people will never see probably like my, uh, I wrote a 80 page, uh, research project actually, which goes into the history of, uh, games and the, the sort of the culture gamer culture. Basically it's about reactionary politics and gamer culture. Like what, you know, what uh, what are the political and social forces that sort of helped to guide games into a place where something like Gamergate would happen? Um, and 
yeah, that's a, that's a pretty substantial uh, research project that I did. Um, and that's only for my patrons. And as you know, I also give free demos, free early versions of my things, tabletop simulator, um, all, all, all kinds of stuff. And I have more plans for this in the future as well. So there are benefits, but the main benefit is, hey, you get to support this kind of thing. So if you think it's cool, go for it. And I would love that. Anyways, now onto my conversation with Adam Wilk from Angry Cyborg Games. Um, I will put links to all of his stuff in the show notes, of course. Uh, but he's got a crazy successful Kickstarter going right now for Outpost 18. He asked originally for like three less than $400, and now he's nearly at 10K. And it's an 18-card strategy game. Adam Wilk also, interestingly, he and I both have in common that we are both these uh, ex-Warcraft 3 people. Uh, both We both made maps. He made very successful, famous maps uh, that I think I played back in the day. So anyway... Uh, Adam, cool guy, awesome game developer. He sent me a physical copy of his game. It's really cool. And uh, I want to have him on the show and talk to him about like the process and you know what's it like running this Kickstarter. And um, yeah, and so I think we got some good stuff. So check it out. Now my conversation with Adam Wilk. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm really excited about your Kickstarter. Uh, it's been actually really inspirational to me, both in terms of like what I'm doing right now. Like, you know, we did the 18 card strategy jam. Largely, um, I was inspired by what your work. Um, so I, you know, obviously I want to congratulate you on the success of your Kickstarter. Uh, for right now, it's uh, at $9,400, 882 backers with uh, four days left to go. Super awesome. Um, I, I did want to ask you like what the process of making this game Outpost 18 was like. So just give us like uh, the background on it. Like what, how, you know, how did you come to make this game? And, and then we want to get into like the Kickstarter thing and how that all worked out as well, if that's okay with you. Yeah, for sure. That, that sounds great to me. Um, man, where to begin? I guess uh, it, with, with Outpost 18, uh, it wasn't my first design. So I, I, done a couple designs for uh, larger games, uh, mostly deck building, different types of deck builders. I was really into Dominion and grew up playing Magic the Gathering and um, more recently Hearthstone and that kind of stuff. And I've always kind of juggled tabletop and video games. So with this game, I want to do something like, it's kind of like what you were talking about earlier. I, I was trying to make something that I could complete and get out there. And uh, the 18 card idea was uh, a design challenge that I found online. So I just kind of uh, started with that challenge and I knew what I wanted the game to feel like and I kind of approached it from there. When you first designed like the first draft of it and I guess did you like print it out or did you just write it on cards or something like that? Yeah, pretty much. So uh, my first draft is uh, just a bunch of cutout cardboard, um, slide it into card sleeves and, and go from there. Mm -hmm. uh, the actual this game originally started out as a, a two-sided 18-card game, and then it kind of evolved from there. And prototyping double-sided cards is kind of a pain, but mm. but yeah, so that that was like the original uh, first draft was me. How well did it work uh, on the first draft? And like, did it take much for this game to kind of come together? Like, was there like a period of like ah, I don't know if this is gonna work or what? Yeah, the uh, the original game, I guess like mechanically it kind of worked like you could you could sit down and you could play it but i don't know if you would want to uh right. so yeah it, it definitely it was not uh 
it was not a, a great game to begin with. Uh, hopefully, you know, I get it to that point, but it was, it was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the first version of the game had a ton of errors and I, I'm not sure how like in depth you want to get into like the iteration process, but I'm happy to like take you through uh, a couple of the steps. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm interested, like what I'm really interested in and what I think this show is interested in is, you know, like, like designers process particularly if theory comes into play at all but also not you know like also i think a lot of it is just practice and is just like getting in there getting your feet and hands dirty and you know uh failing and trying again and all that kind of stuff so so yeah give me a little more about like what the process was like and yeah i guess i could ask a follow-up like were there points where theory of any kind, like, you know, things you've read about game design or things you, you know, like guidelines you have for game design were helpful to you or actually not helpful to you, the opposite of helpful? That's happened to me before. Yeah, for sure. To begin with, the whole appeal of 18 cards to me. So uh, there's a couple ways you can you can kind of look at it, I guess. So for sure, 18 cards is not as many cards to have to design, which is which is a plus. But mm -hmm. for me, the, the biggest reason and kind of like the underlying design thing that I think is really untapped by 18 card games out there right now. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you were before like the jam and stuff, but there's, there's a couple companies that specialize in 18 card games and there's a couple um, larger games in that format that have done well. But I find like what the one really unique thing that you can do with an 18 card game that you can't really do with larger card games is you can kind of reward players for, uh, for that mastery that they can get because there's not as much content to absorb. Like if you only have 18 cards to remember, mm -hmm. um, you can kind of get people to figure out the intricacies of the game where that's much harder to do in a, in a larger game, like, I don't know, Dominion or whatever. Right. Um, so one of my early decisions was to kind of focus on that, like, okay, how do I reward mastery uh, of this system? And like, how can I show people what you can do with a cards in an interesting way instead of the uh, kind of more derivative stuff that's out there how how done is the game now like is it uh is it kind of like you feel that there's going to be a lot more iteration on it from this point or is it like done done um it's it's pretty much done uh what i will say is uh my my kickstarter approach is much more traditional in the kickstarter sense where like i am comfortable making changes up until i feel like the game is 100 percent complete mm. and what Kickstarter has done for me is I've reached like 900 people um, as of today that I was expecting maybe to get like 100, 150 if I was lucky. Yeah, your um, original goal was $378. I'm kind of curious, like what were you planning to do with that $378, assuming that that was going to be the, like reached? <laughs> yeah, uh, the conversion's a bit funny because I'm, I'm Canadian. So it was 500 Canadian was my original target. Gotcha. And yeah, and 500 Canadian would have been just enough to cover uh, a small run of games through the Game Crafter. Um, I was actually just going to print like 18 card packs, um, stuff them myself, get everything taken care of just by myself, and uh, mail them out. And yeah, so like you would, how, how would that actually work? You would have like, um, like, like a, like a, just a old school like buy this like market button on a website or like how would people actually like fill or fill out orders and stuff like that um well for that for that like for my original thing it was yeah. uh uh through kickstarter right so i was just gonna take the oh i see 
Kickstarter, yeah. Just output that, make a bunch of mailing labels, uh, send so it So it would be just the people. You wouldn't make extra games and try to sell them at post-Kickstarter? No. Well, I wasn't going to with my original, you know. Gotcha. going to make, like, less than 100 copies, but right now it's at the point where I can, I can think about that stuff, which is kind of cool. That's I'm still not, like, in that headspace yet. I'm still focused on, like, how do I make this game the best it can be? But mm -hmm. beyond that, Definitely, like this opens some doors to uh, for me to do some more cool stuff. In well, so in what are space. some of those doors? What what are you? What are some of the cool things that you now are thinking about doing? Yeah, so I guess like the biggest thing is my approach to this campaign was was to try to build a community, build a following, and uh, I've actually kind of got off on a great start for that. So um, obviously, everybody on this Discord is great too, um, but I've started to build a bit of a community in my uh, board game geek page and the forums there and uh for those who aren't too familiar with it uh with board game geek is uh it's like the go-to tabletop place and you'll find people who just live and breathe board games card games um being able to tap into that that audience is super valuable and uh they're they're awesome people people have great ideas great suggestions so i can use use them and, and use their feedback to make this game the best it can be and then when I'm ready to do, you know, another title in a year or two or expand on this title or, or whatever comes next, I'll have a, a you know, a, a foundation to build off of instead of trying to do it from nothing like with this campaign. So you're, is this your like long-term goal to be like a game developer and game designer and specifically board games? Uh, or is it sort of more of like a hobby kind of thing? Or how do you feel about that? Yeah, so uh, I guess like um, to be transparent about it my background is in entrepreneurship so i i run a few e-commerce stores and so like i know that world it's not what i'm like super passionate about where game design is something that i've always wanted to do since i was a kid i've you know i i've programmed games um when i was a teenager and, and started college i was really into programming and then i kind of gave up on it a bit when i entered the workforce and had a real job and all that and so yeah i would say this is my hobby but this has given me an opportunity to like turn that hobby into something more permanent sustainable. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Are you, so you're feeling good now about where, uh, where outpost 18 is like, do you, I don't know, like, is there something that, uh, you want to change about it before you go to the final thing or is there, or is there, what about like expansion ideas or anything like that? Yeah, totally. So I guess the most pressing things that I got to take care of before, uh, before I send it off to print. Um, the overall graphic design needs a couple tweaks. So one of the one of the great things about Kickstarter is the uh, the feedback you get and people are really uh, clear about what they think and mm -hmm. uh, and there's a lot of information to parse, but you can get at the good stuff pretty easily. Um, so for me, the uh, the graphic design for icons needs to be a little bit clearer. Uh, the card layout needs to be adjusted slightly to make it a bit easier to figure out how the abilities to interact. Um, because it's an 18-card game, and uh, typically those games are kind of like razor, like hyper-targeted at a casual audience, um, mine is kind of in a weird spot where it's, it's not really a casual game. It's a more mechanical kind of thinky game. So I think it takes a lot of people by surprise, and it has a lot more going on than it looks like. So it there's a lot of like really weird combinations and intricate things that can happen. Um, 
So trying to streamline the game a little bit to make it easier to understand on the first go, on the first play, to draw those people in a little, little bit faster, um, that's kind of where I'm at now. Uh, so I would say 95% of the way there and just the last 5% in the next couple of weeks to, to get it to where I need it to be. That is a very familiar struggle to me, the whole idea of like, you know, you want to make a game that looks appealing to everybody and that looks accessible and that is accessible. And at the same time, you want to make a game or at least I want to make a game and I, I guess you want to make a game that is like this deep you know, uh, game, like uh, the expression I use is games that you can live in. And like for an 18 card game, it's a little bit, you know, like the expectation, even if it's deep is, is a little bit lower probably in general, but even still like in terms of like, you know, longevity, like is somebody going to be playing an 18 card game for, you know, five years or something uh, like it's, um, it's hard to imagine that, but even in that space of an 18 card game, it's like there is this wide range of expectations and um you know what is possible and and what players are looking for and and so i find there's there's really interesting questions about like how you know really choosing theme and like what what kind of theme you want to uh, express and i don't know i kind of go back and forth on like uh on some things about theme i think there's some things that you can definitely do um with theme that are like straight up missteps sometimes there are some things but there are but it's also like i don't know it's not clear to me like so I've just been thinking this is a little bit a little off topic not really but I think it'll relate back to what you're talking about so I've been playing I've been trying to play some games that I have not played that type of game in a long time so I, I I'm playing a Langrisser on the mobile Langrisser and it's like uh, you know it's like a Fire Emblem kind of game um I used to play the old Langrissers back uh, in the day for like I think Genesis um but this one is like so it's like a strategy RPG or whatever but the crazy thing about the game is it has so many like sub menus and systems and it's actually like to call this a casual game of any kind feels totally like off because it's more complicated it's like crusader kings level complicated um and so yet it's you know it's a mobile game and it's got like anime characters and it's sort of like communicating a certain kind of uh you know casual aesthetic i suppose and yet, you know, the people who play it are like diving deep into these like really complicated things. Um, and I guess maybe you could say the distinction is like they don't get that thinky. I'm not sure that's true, though, because there's just so much going on. Um, I haven't dived deep into it enough myself to really say either way. Um, and so anyway, I've just been thinking a lot about like theme and how we communicate like our hardcoreness or whatever uh, with our games or our casualness and whether or not that is maybe kind of like a false distinction in some some situations. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's just a kind of like a, a bunch of rambling. I guess I, I would uh, point it to you by asking, like, how did you sort of um, come to the theme in your game? And how do you think that the theme communicates or fails to communicate like what it is? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's a good question. I know I know where you're going, where you're going with this. So I'm I think it's a, a good it's a good segue. So I guess um, the theme, I guess <laughs> really what it's what started it is uh, like I really set out to create a game uh, kind of akin to, to StarCraft. Like, I grew up playing shit tons of StarCraft. Mm -hmm. um, StarCraft 2. Um, you know this, but, like, WarCraft 3 was enormously important for me. And That's right. You're a big WarCraft map maker, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a couple uh, 
couple maps in the pro scene for a really long time, probably way too long. Considering I've played some of your maps. I'm fairly certain I have. So I, um, I kind of set out to create like a, a Blizzard-esque style game. And then the because StarCraft was so important to me, that seemed like a natural fit. Um, the whole kind of space opera, space battle thing, um, that that was less important to me than creating like a like a fun functional game um the idea of this kind of cyclical cards coming in and out kind of worked with the theme i had in mind where like you're off in this you know distant space station and you have like these retro bits coming in and out it just kind of seemed to flow nicely in my in my head and that's that's really all it was that i started with so i kind of took like this nostalgia trip that i had for you know growing up with snes titles and um mixed it in with you know some blizzard style stuff um you kind of were, were talking about it before but that whole idea of um easy to learn difficult to master was the the big thing that blizzard always aimed for in their titles at least you know in their earlier titles mm -hmm. and uh, yeah and i, I kind of took that to heart and um and that's kind of how i set foot um into this design yeah, uh, well, but why the space theme? I guess that was a StarCraft reference, and, and sort of the pixel art was like the Super Nintendo, and it kind of came together, I guess. Um, I guess because uh, there's there's a lot of conversations about space themes, um, and I know Brick Road, um, he, he, you know Brick Road from Brain Good Games? He's on our Discord and stuff. Yeah, yeah so, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, uh, I think that um, Solar Settlers, if I recall correctly, is his most successful game, and I think it's his only space-themed game. And at the same time, like, I feel like uh, many in the board game community have, like, really mixed feelings about, um, or, like, um, there's, like, a lot of division about space themes. Um, mm -hmm. And, yeah, no, it's, uh, I, you know, I, I agree with you totally that, like, and I think also with the mechanics of this game, it, like, it, it really works to have that space theme. Um, do you think it communicates, I guess, maybe, like, do you think it communicates or do you think it... Um, sort of like anti-communicates uh that depth thing or is it really just the 18 card thing that's that's that causes that difficulty it's definitely difficult with 18 cards but um i think the the theme works for this game yeah primarily because of the restriction primarily because the kind of cyclical nature of things it also was like Uh, it's I, I guess it's kind of related, but I I wanted to make I wanted to make a game that wasn't about um, like dudes killing each other kind mm -hmm. of thing. Like, um, so I I don't know if if you noticed, but all the like ships and all the everything is non-humanized. So it's like I don't know for me anyway. It's easier to kind of separate it. Um, so that was coming not from necessarily a design theory thing, but more of like a kind of social, like, I just don't want it to be like yeah. this kind of toxic murder simulator thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You know, like, yeah. It to, yeah. And it's, it's funny. Cause like, obviously the other, the other approach to this is like marketability and, and making a game that people will play or, or want to play. And um, it's really hard. Like, I know you've, you've talked about like the idea of, you know, getting rid of, um, character removal um it's really hard to to make something like that really compelling um mm. i'm not saying possible i'd love to do it but it's um it might be easier to start like 
chipping away at that block instead of trying to get rid of the block entirely. Um, yeah, that's been my so experience like, too. That's kind of where the mechanic of like the ships attacking and getting cycled back in together in the deck. And part of that is obviously like the restraint of 18 cards. You kind of depend on cards moving back and forth between players. Right. But it also was definitely, um, definitely intentional on my part to, uh, to keep things moving back and forth to, to get rid of that idea of like something is permanently gone. Gotcha. In fact, like to, to take it a little bit further, um, I'm hoping the more experienced players with the game will have this kind of experience, but having a better understanding of the cards that have been, um, that have attacked where they are in the discard pile is pretty important because you can plan for when they're going to re-enter play or for what potential options your opponent will have. So it, it actually adds, uh, an amount of depth that wouldn't normally be there. So it's, it's kind of like an argument for, um, against removing something from the game entirely. I it makes me think like wouldn't it be cool if we could make a strategy game where um you know violence was an option but that when violence was used the strategic layer could adequately communicates also the sort of like failure the global failure sort of aspect of like you know like emotionally how that that would would feel and like what the meaning of, of that is so so to put it another way like um you know imagine a strategy game where you know like yes you could do violence but it was like kind of always bad to do it and you know strategically speaking it was like somehow like bad for everybody like when you do it and it's hard and, and that's the problem with like with you know it's like games being zero sum and i just had this conversation with uh hopenager about like score systems and we just had like a you know we've been having this long argument about about that um but uh you know it's like I guess that's one of the issues, and this is kind of getting to a larger philosophical thing, but this is also kind of like what my show is sort of about is like, you know, um, you know, in a game that is fundamentally zero sum, how do you make, um, you know, because of the win loss kind of thing, like I win, you lose. Is it ever possible to adequately like um, make violence both strategically viable sometimes like you could definitely make violence just like ineffective and no one would ever use it that's easy mm. but to make it that like you have to use it sometimes but that like like both players are kind of like it really sucks that we both have to use this uh you know is very difficult in a system that's uh but that has this binary sum because binary outcome because uh you know it doesn't i don't care about anything as long as i can just win if I have to do violence against you, like whatever, that's fine. It, it, my objective is winning, you know. Uh, so it's a little bit. It's an interesting challenge. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. It is an interesting challenge, and it's, um, yeah, it's it's an important challenge too. I I absolutely think that's yeah an important distinction. Um, I would love to to be able to make games that that work that in that space and that also like resonate with people in that space. Um, that's the that's the real challenge. That's that's why I say like one step at a time, chip it off. Yep. Um, bit by bit. If if like everyone pushes forward that way, maybe we can get there sooner rather than later. Right. Because uh, because and that's the biggest thing is yes, somebody could probably make this game tomorrow, and like a lot of people just wouldn't find it fun. And because a lot of what is considered fun to us is 
has to do with what we've played before and what we, you know, we're sort of like aesthetically trained to like XYZ, things themed in certain way, certain kinds of interactions. And in strategy game space in particular, that's all so just like marinated in war and violence and so it's going to take time i think that it's going to take not just like incremental changes but it's also going to take like time like of people you know generations sort of growing up with like slightly like games that are just aestheticized differently that are uh mechanically different uh that are less about you know i think euro games is probably a thing the way that euro games function as 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 heavily non-actor removal base and you know a lot of them are multiplayer solitaire or whatever but the thing is you know that is going to change the way that people think about and actually i think you can start seeing some of that even in the uh the like auto chess and how that um auto chess kind of like uh divorces the player's agency a little bit from the violence in a way that's like because you're just like kind of recruiting people um in auto chess you're not like literally like clicking behead this man you know like uh you're actually just kind of clicking you, you don't sort of do the violence yourself uh, i don't know that, that may be a stretch but the, the point is i think that it's going to take time it's going to take everyone making these small efforts over a long period of time no i was just going to agree like auto chess puts a pretty clear barrier between you know, the the person doing the clicking, the person executing the commands. Yeah, it's definitely a step in the right direction. So uh, what's next for you? Uh, obviously, you're finishing this Kickstarter. It's got three or four days to go. People should go check it out. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, of course. But uh, what else is next for you going forward? The next the next, uh, the next, next couple of months are definitely going to be pretty focused on, on getting out post-18 to where it needs to be. And then I have to get into the whole um, fulfillment and and setting up the, the business side of it and, and figuring out what that looks like. Um, but I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun. Um, I'm excited to like get it out into the world. And uh, it's, it's also like, it's a $7 game, um, which is pretty, pretty cool that I found a way to do it like this. So yeah, I'm, I'm just excited for people to get in the mail and open it up and, and go from there. Um, next steps for me. Um, I've got a few designs I'm working on. Um, one of them was uh, another kind of StarCraft-like that I did for the 18 card jam that, that you held. So my next step with that is re-theming it uh, to my own kind of IP that would fit in kind of my uh, company's universe. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then kind of see where that goes. That's, that's going to be a larger game. So uh, probably going to be 52 cards instead of 18, but who knows? We'll see. Cool. Um, and are you sticking with Game Crafter for your for like the much larger orders that you have? Or are you using a different uh, printer? Because I, I have been asking other game uh, developers about this question. Like, what what do you use for printing? What do you what are your experiences with that? Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of in the middle of going through coding processes with a, a few different manufacturers. I'm uh, I want to stick with the Game Crafter if I can get it to work. Um, right. Because because of the, the size that I'm dealing with now, like uh, it's it's likely going to be 1,500, 2,000 copies that I'll need. Um, and GameCraft so is more designed for like, you know, like you're just like prototyping and small orders? Yeah, prototyping, review copies, small orders are um, even like small Kickstarters. Like if, if I had 500 copies, 1,000 copies, I would probably still go with them, um, gotcha. at least for, for this game. But... Um, beyond that, I might, 
I, I would I would rather stick with them if I can find a way. I'm actually the uh, the guys at the Game Crafter are great. Like uh, JT who owns it, um, it's really responsive on all social media and everything. Um, or you can email them and talk with them. And so I'm actually going to try to reach out to them and explain where I'm at and see if we can come up with something. But but yeah, so I'm kind of going through that process. But I would I would definitely recommend the Game Crafter for for anyone who just wants to uh, get something going and yeah. It, you just have to be careful with pricing and and all that kind of stuff. But gotcha. Yeah. No. That that sounds that sounds right. Um, well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I don't know if there's anything else you want to plug. Obviously, everyone should go check out the Kickstarter. Uh, but if there's anything else you wanted to uh, plug, I wanted to give you an opportunity to do that. No, I got nothing. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you again so much for coming on the show, and uh, we will be staying very tuned to your Kickstarter uh, this whole time. Uh, And yeah, thanks again, Adam. Cool, thanks so much. Okay, so the last thing I wanna do in this show today is I want to answer the questions that I gave out to all the people who submitted games for the 18 card strategy game jam. Um, So uh, 14 people submitted. Most of those people answered these three questions. Um, you can read those answers all at itch.io. So the game I submitted is a game called Dragon Bridge. And it's a two-player game, 18 cards originally, although I'm expanding upon that now. Um, and you have these two characters that are moving up and down the bridge. And there's a dragon at one side of the bridge. And the goal is either to push the opponent into the dragon or to escape on the other side of the dr- bridge away from the dragon. And uh, you have cards, you play cards that are different things. Some of them move you up a few tiles, some of them move you down. Each, each bridge card, there's three bridge cards, each of which has six tiles on it. So there's a bridge of 18 long. That was kind of a coincidence. But um, yeah, that's, that's the basic concept. And it takes place in the Gem Wizards universe. So I wanted to answer these questions here formally. I have yet to do that. I didn't do that on on my post that I made the other day on KeithBurgun.net. So I'm going to answer those questions right here. If that interests you, continue listening. If you find that boring, you may shut off the podcast. Um, Okay, so my responses. Question number one is, what was the process like for creating your game? How did the limitations influence your design? So, okay, the first part, uh, the process for me was like, I was, I was, so I've been trying to make a game like this um, for years and years and years, probably since about 2010 when I first played uh flash duel from david serlin um and i played on guard and i played a few other games uh another rhino canizia game that had this kind of tile system and uh i had been trying to make a game like that for for years and years and years and they all failed for various reasons then like five years went by and or you know three or four years at least went by and i didn't touch any of those designs maybe it was more like five years and then this 18 card strategy jam is happening largely inspired by adam wilk and his 18 card game um and i was like i just dove right into it and i I just like typed up the design in like 30 minutes because i had i think the thing was i had all this like um sort of like uh rich soil i guess of having worked on these kinds of games for so long and so i just 
plowed right into it and it worked really well. And the first play test, it like, you know, it, they had some problems, but it, it worked. And so the limitations, I think really, actually these kinds of limitations, I think are really good for me because I'm a kind of designer, like, you know, my main thing is I want strategy games you can live in. So I'm always thinking, big and huge and i had a gem wizards card game i still have it uh that i've been i was working on i sort of have sidelined it for a little bit because it's just been this like slog and the really nice thing about an 18 card strategy game or some kind of limitation like that is it helps me to avoid that like never-ending iterative thrashing around you know so dragon bridge boom i got it like done in the first uh, you know like it was basically it worked in the first iteration um i've been you know expanding on it so the limitations were crucial is the short answer um and it, it really helps someone like me i think a lot more than it would maybe other designers um how do i think it turned out i think it turned out pretty good and uh and then the the second question is do you have future plans for this game uh so I want to answer those two together. It turned out pretty good. Fine, I guess I would say. And then I'm going to make it really good. Uh, or I'm in the process of making it really good right now, um, I think. Um, so I'm... I'm uh, The art, I think, already was like... You know, like I, I, I made it all like very first draft, very quick. But it was like, it was, you know, it was kind of designed looking, I think, compared to a lot of like other 18 card strategy games where like you, you know, a lot of times they don't even have original art or they just use like very simple. It's just like the card is all, you know, white and has like just straight black lines for stuff. It doesn't have a lot of identity. I think these cards already had more identity than a lot of those kind of games. Um, I, I was applying a little more effort to it, but now I'm going back and I've, I've redesigned the basic card. I redesigned the, the bridge cards last night um, and I'm adding this another feature, another type of card. So I'm, I'm going over the 18 card limit um, by about, I don't know, probably 10 cards or so, maybe 10 to 12 cards. Um, it's still going to be like well less than a 52 card deck, um, but then I can also add more characters and stuff later on. So I think the ideal is later on, like there will eventually be in like an expansion or something, there would be about 50 or so cards. Um, but yeah, so I do have future plans for this game. And my biggest future plan is in the next couple months, I want to actually really mostly in this month, this month, I want to build a Kickstarter campaign for uh, for Dragon Bridge. Uh, and yeah, I was really inspired by Adam Wilk and his success. Um, I don't have any expectation that mine will be nearly as successful, but I do think that I will be able to, um, you know, get it, uh, get it somewhere. And that's that I'm really excited. I've been looking around on Kickstarter and it's so inspiring, like that, how many, how the board game thing, like, I guess I sort of always felt like the board game thing on Kickstarter was going to be this like flash in the pan thing. Everyone's going to be supporting these Kickstarters for like, I don't know, maybe two years or something. And then everyone's going to get all these, you know, kind of like junky board games that like had some gimmick to them or something and they play them once and then they throw them out and they're like, you know what? I'm not going to support this anymore. And the whole thing like kind of collapses. And like maybe that still will happen at some point. But it seems like it seems like maybe that's not happening. Like it seems like actually like there's this is a good platform for like this particular kind of art form and that it's actually working. Um, 
So I'm, I'm, I'm really like happy about that and excited about that. Even if, you know, my, even if I can't get my own games working on this platform, I do think that in general, I'm leaning more into the board game space because I know, you know, it's like I said in that little ad in the middle there, um, before I talked about Adam Wilk, how like I'm sort of doing stuff that's a little bit more like game design theory research e, and I think that the board game community will appreciate that a little bit more maybe than than the video game community will, um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one reason that's just very easy to kind of like point out is the fact that, you know, board games like live and die by their design a lot more they put the designer on name on the cover of the box um and they're less about other things besides the rule set you know i mean a lot of board games that are great don't have everything else besides the rule set is not great like you know puerto rico for example um the theme the art uh everything about it is is pretty unappealing other than the rule set um and so and that's where I that's where I feel like my strengths are too, um, or at least um, that's a that's a area where I wouldn't say my strengths are, but that that I'm interested in pursuing and that I'm interested in trying different weird stuff. So yes, anyways, that's the long and short story is uh, the short story rather is that I'm gonna be running a Kickstarter for Dragon Bridge. Please stay tuned to that. I have a new um, mailing list that I've been sending around. You can find that on my website at keithbergun.net. And that's going to, I'm going to be using that to like let people know about what's going on with the Kickstarter beforehand. And yeah, um, I will have a lot more news on that this month. So please stay tuned. And thank you for listening to this show. I hope you got something out of it. Please let me know what you think, especially about the Hopenager conversation. I'd be really interested to hear what people think about how that conversation went and where you stand on binary goals. Um, so yes, thank you so much for listening and I will see you again next time. <laughs>